0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network. Broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
3: We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the bowl. Snacky too.
4: Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. That was just Gabi, who will be on live later in the episode with the fine people of Northside Festival to talk about the upcoming festival, her show, and all the events, music, and activities you can check out in early June. Next up, though, we have our second part in a special episode of Rice, a new podcast hosted by Eric Bruner-Yang. We did the first podcast from eric a couple months ago so you can go back and hear it in the archives eric is best known as a chef owner of Makedo in washington dc rice will be regularly broadcast on full service radio in spring 2017 full service radio will be a brand new podcast network broadcasting from washington dc run by heritage radio networks jack insley until then enjoy the special preview of from them on snacky tunes and we'll be back later in the show with more music
5: Hi, this is Lori Parkerson from Redeem and you're listening to Full Service Radio.
6: Hey, what's going on? This is Eric Bruner-Yang of Maketo, and you're listening to Rice Episode 2. Uh, today we're going to talk to Enrico Dunca of the AmerAsian Photography Project. You know, we're going to tie all things Filipino today ultimately with rice this show what we're trying to do is show the impact of these immigrant stories and how it shapes america thanks for doing this enrico what's up
7: thank you for having me here eric
6: so, just to kind of kick off, one of the reasons why I thought this conversation today would be an amazing conversation to have is not only for you, Enrico, to um, introduce a little bit of your story and your project. And right now, in the background, you're going to hear construction. And we're sitting in the middle of the basement of what, um, in a couple months, will be um, Enrico's first um, art show, photo show here in Washington, D.C. Um, and so I think uh, even though this stuff's in the background, it's appropriate because we're actually physically going to be in this space when, in, uh, when you launch your photo project here in D.C. People will see um, what we're talking about. They, they hear it right now, and they're going to see it later. And um, what's really special about this area, um, me growing up middle school, high school, college, is the DMV has a l- large Filipino-American community. And um, that's always kind of been a little bit under the radar. And now, all of a sudden, one of the most popular restaurants in the United States is a Filipino restaurant called Bad Saint. And then there is also a very popular kind of mom-and-pop Filipino restaurant called Purple Patch here in Washington, D.C. And now you're just seeing all of these Filipino pop-ups, dinner clubs, supper clubs, um, you know, through the East Coast and, and... it's always it's just interesting to see This this cuisine become Really popular but people don't Know what it Took to get that food to the Table and I'm not saying like The pork belly or the rice Or the herbs I'm talking about the story Of immigration and what it took To for What everyone had to go through as A collective group essentially um, To make something like Bad Saint happen or to make something like Purple Patch happen so that's kind of uh, the direction I want to connect that through your project about you know the, the, your vision and what you're doing and how that's kind of translated now into the food world.
7: Perfect. Um, I think perfect conversation because ah. the province where I come from or where I came from is considered the culinary capital of the Philippines. It's Pampanga. It's located in central Luzon where everything's flat and plain. So we have rich agriculture, we have rich. Um, fisheries, poultry, and all kinds of meats. We have acquired this kind of a sophisticated taste, where we know what. I'm going to speak from my tongue. I know what, and I can actually taste it now in the back of my <laughs> my my throat. Good food is, yeah. you know. The Philippines, as I mentioned, has been colonized colonizers from the Spaniards, and we have the neighboring countries, China, um, and other Southeast Asian countries. So we have kind of adopted that. As you know, in Spanish cuisine, there's a lot of tomatoes, a lot of garlic and onions, and we still use that. You know, um, What's interesting about the Filipino cuisine, and I think it's making sense now why all, all of a sudden we've got all these new modern Filipino restaurants coming up, For me, it speaks of the world. You know, We got the Latin influence. We've got the Asian influence. We also have the American taste to it. You know, hamburger was introduced to us. We kind of made our own version of hamburger in, in, in the Philippines. Um, egg rolls was introduced to us by China. We made our own lumpias. You know. um, to me, what's interesting about what's happening now is the fact that all of a sudden, like as you mentioned, boom, we've got Chef Tom, we've got um, um, Nicole Ponsaka in, the, in New York City who really pushed it to put the Filipino cuisine in the culinary map here in the United States. And they've been right. They've been right. They've been saying, we have to put this. If the Chinese food is known in every corner of New York City, and Thai food. Everyone orders a pad Thai when they walk into a Thai restaurant. We want to share that the Filipino food. We want to welcome them and say yes, this is what our food is. Um, you, you said something about pork belly. You know, I remember the first time I introduced pork belly when I was living in L.A. You know, my ma- my mom made this um, the shrimp paste binagong. I don't know if you've ever had that. We showed it to to the to 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 our guests and they were non-Filipinos and they were kind of disgusted by it and as a family we were a little bit offended because this is how we eat this is how we this is how we grew up but I guess they were trying to be polite and they tried it that was 25 years ago now you have pork bellies in every Filipino restaurant I think like I said this is the perfect time to share our culture our cuisine and our cuisine is not diff- any different from from any other cuisine we also have pate you know we also have noodles we have fried chicken you know <laughs> we have hamburgers so it's nice to see that this is happening and it's nice to see all these representation of Filipinos and how can you best represent your culture this is by food
6: Um, So why don't you just go ahead and give an introduction about yourself and um, a little bit about your project.
7: Okay, so as you know, my name is Enrico Dunca. I was born and raised in the Philippines. Uh, We came to the United States when I was 16 years old. Actually, I'm going to give you a little flashback. I remember when I was 10 years old, my father came up to me and said, you're going to be an exchange student. I said, what does that mean? He said, you're going to America. You're going to study there. I said, what about you? No, we're going to stay here. We want you to go to America. I guess he knew that he wanted his family to come to the United States. Of course, as a young boy, I said, no, I don't want to be separated from you. I want to be with you. But I remember a photograph of my father in front of an airplane that said Pan-American. That was in 1972. In 1972, that was when martial law was hit in the Philippines. My father really wanted to leave that country because he knew he wanted to protect his children. At the same time, he wanted to have a better future. My family, I'm going to speak about my father. He already knew that he wanted a better life. You know, he knew that this is the land of making, opportunity and making opportunities and making better for yourself. Came to LA when 16 years old. Uh, I've always wanted to be an artist. I got my first camera when I was 10 years old. Uh, my dad wanted me to join the Air Force, and I said, I don't want to. I said, What do you want? Do you want to be an artist? He said, No, you're not going to make any money being an artist. I said, All right. So, with his suggestion and my passion to create images, I studied to become an X ray technologist. Um, But after x-ray school, I continued taking classes. Um, I I took art and photography courses that, a couple years later, I got a scholarship to attend Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. It was in that school where I started my photo career. I developed my skills, my so-called style. So while I was in the x-ray school, I mean in the photo school, I started shooting for magazines and doing fashion stuff, celebrities. Kept working and working and working as a commercial photographer. It was fun, you know. Was who would not say no? I don't want to go to Paris to photograph. No, I'll do it, you know. (laughs) So, when my dad died in 2005, my world kind of dropped. And I was like, what happened? You know, Dad was just right there. I cannot even pick up a camera. I could not even create an image. You know, in commercial photography, you pretty much work, you know, where you work together with these creatives and you come up with a picture. At that moment, none of my pictures did not have any soul. None of these images that I, see, even though I see my name on a magazine, I felt like I wasn't being true. Yeah. You know? So, I guess at that point you can say I was depressed visually depressed you know. so when my dad died um, I told him you were a great man you helped so many people in the world you helped my cousins finish nursing school you helped auntie and uncles to build a house I want to be like you I want to help but at that time I was already in my late mid thir- 30s um thinking what can i do to help you know that saying go back to where you came from i did i went back to the philippines just to reminisce like start fresh again just smell what it's what was like being a child and just kind of be carefree so i discovered these community of children living in my neighborhood who are fathered by Filipino mothers and American fathers. These are called the Amerasians. And I'm not strange, you know, they're not strangers to me. Growing up in the Philippines, we had those children in, in my school, in my class, and I witnessed how they, how they grew up. Uh, many of these children were bullied because they looked different. Many were called names, and names such as half dollar souvenir bye bye daddy and left by the ship you know, was, these are hurtful names and I witnessed a friend uh, Jonas uh, he was in from fourth grade up to you know, I don't even think he finished high school he was going on going to school not going to school and he was called the guy as the souvenir so you can imagine if I call you a souvenir you can just imagine what Confidence you may not have. So Jonas went the other way to find happiness, to feel belonged. Unfortunately, it was the darker way. He got involved into stuff that he's, you know, it's not good for the body. Um, My recent trip, after my dad passed, I witnessed that again. I witnessed these children... We're selling their unique features just to earn money. We're selling, we're trying to find happiness from some other substance, just to kind of patch that little emptiness. It was this young man I shared a ride with coming home. He shared his life story of being abandoned by his American father. He said that the only thing I know to do is to use my unique physical features. He never went to school. He did not have any access to that, or he did not have any chance to change his fate. So he used that to earn a living, and he said to me, "This is not what I want to do. You know, I have no choice, but this is the only thing I know to do. You know I hope my life will change." So they came back to New York City with this unsettled feeling, thinking, "Wow, you know." I knew about this issue, but here I am, it's presented to me. At that moment, it hit me. I felt an obligation to make a difference in this young man's life, and apparently there are thousands more of these children left behind in the Philippines who are in this similar situation. So quickly, the only thing I know to do is photography. And I know photographs have made some changes, political and social reforms. I know they have influenced the world to make some change the laws or change the different perspectives. I said, so why, why don't I do this? Why don't I document these faces and share these faces to the world and see what these children have gone through? These children have been calling for help. You know, being stigmatized in, in the Philippines, they're seeking for societal acceptance. They don't feel welcome there. At the same time, they're also asking for political recognition here in the United States, yet they're not welcome to come to the fatherland. So they seem to be in a position where, where do we place ourselves? So with this project, I hope to raise that awareness and say, listen to these children or young adults calling for help. Look at their faces. They've been shattered with their dreams. They don't feel welcome in the Philippines. And yet they cannot even enter the united states to get a hug from their fathers it started in 2014 you know i started on my own just from research research and i'm a big believer in prayers you know so i just said just take me where you want me to be you know if you want me to use my camera and be a vehicle to these to these citizens let it be I'm looking back two years later. I can't believe it's today. I just presented this issue at the White House. A very important issue. A very important question I ask. I just, it's just an amazing journey. And I know with this project, people will know more about it. People will hear more about it. Because it's been a forgotten issue. It's been a forgotten topic. You know we've been friends with the with the, with the United States for almost a hundred years. they've been living there and they've been ignored and hopefully with this project, I can raise the awareness and show the faces
6: so uh, mention a little bit if you don't mind about kind of what your ultimate legal impact is with the photo project? Because I know you're working with a couple of lobbyists, and the lobbyists are, you and with your, uh, the lobbyists are working to get some litigation either rewritten or changed or renewed, correct?
7: Right. Um, you know, in the wake of Vietnam War, there were children in Southeast Asian countries who the U.S. government deemed that they were in danger. You know, these were children of also Americans who were now welcomed in their own community because of they looked different. You know. In the wake of the Vietnam War, um, in 1982, U.S. Congress passed public law 97359, which is also called the Immigration Act of 1982, which gave immigration prefer- preferential treatment to these children born in five Asian countries. The term is that you know, Amerasians. So, these countries were Cambodia, which is now Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, Laos, and South Korea. Now, as I mentioned a while ago, the Philippines has always, has always been a reliable ally to the United States. The Philippines and Japan were originally in that this of countries. Last minute, it was deleted. It's never been memorialized in legislative history why the Philippines was deleted. Um, my hope is to show the faces again and have these children who feels like they were discriminated against that law hoping that the politicians will put their politician hats to the side and just look at it as a hum- humanistic issue. And hopefully, with the photographs, you know it will humanize the consequences, the consequences of their abandonment. About a month ago, we, yes, we were here uh, with a couple colleagues. Yes, it's seen it's it's seen as an immigration issue, but at the same time, it's also a veterans issue. There were many servicemen who were stationed in the the Philippines that when they officially closed in 1992, they lost many children behind. 1991, the volcano erupted. It made these bases immediately leave after a year later. Now, at that time, we did not have internet. right? So two things happened. Many of these documents that the children had in their their homes were destroyed because of the volcanic eruption. When Internet came on board, we got Facebook, we've got emails, all of a sudden there were these children reaching out to these fathers saying, I think I'm your child. Of course, if you're a father, you first... Reply would be what? Yeah. We're in- so, but they will follow up that that statement mm-hmm. by saying, "Were you in the Philippines at a certain time? Did you meet a lady named My name is so and so, and I believe I am your child because I have a picture here, and I believe this is you." And I've met a few veterans who have been communicating with these um, with these kids one veteran that I've been communicating closely he took it further he said your stories is ringing true yes I know a lady name and I did not know that I left a child so let's do this would you be willing to do a DNA test? Early 90s, we did not have DNA testing, right? So now we have these high-end technology and high-end access to trace our ancestry. So the, the child said, yes, well, I'll do a DNA testing. Sure enough, 99.98% there is a paternal relationship there. So what is the very new? I'm going to bring you here in this country. But there are laws that prohibits these, now adults, to get their visas approved. Because number one, in order to claim the citizenship of your child, you have to do it before they turn 18. Okay. One of the documents that they ask for at the US Embassy in Manila is a relationship, or even photographs, that you spent some time with your American father. I mentioned to you many village and homes were destroyed, so a lot of those documents were are not present anymore. So the, the veteran hired his high powered attorney in Wisconsin. He still did not have the luck to bring the child here, so. There's a House resolution that was um, filed recently in July, which is um, H.R. 5742, which is to reunite these children of American fathers and U.S. veterans who were left, not just in the Philippines, but the ones who served overseas. Hopefully, with this bill, hopefully, we'll get more sponsorship or co-sponsors that we can put more families together the bill is not to destroy a family, it's not to destroy a home, but to reunite these let's, let's remember these veterans are not in their 20s or 30s anymore some of them are faced with some kind of health condition and they need help some of them are living alone would you say no to that veteran, say you cannot have your child with you So, again, hopefully with this project, I can show the world that this is happening. It cannot be pushed, pushed back any further. You have to keep going.
6: And you're coming back to Washington, D.C. in March? Is that correct? For the show? For the show, right? Yes. And that yeah. is also being... Uh, we specifically chose that time frame because the bill is up for vote, or...?
7: No. Um, the I believe the congressional calendar is almost over. Right. In about three weeks, maybe. It's going to be represented okay. for, the next, um, for the next year. But I believe we chose March because it's the anniversary of the Homecoming Act of 1987. Correct after the Emerging Act of 1982 Congress passed another law which was the Homecoming Act of 1987 which allowed children again from Southeast Asia to be reunited with their families I think it will be timely to present it again we had this act signed similarly in March of 1987 let's show these faces this time in March but these children who have been discriminated against those two laws
6: Yes, thank you for the reminder I was like, I know we specifically picked this time It's hugely important And that's why we were doing the show around that time period um, I mean, your story resonates with me Because, you know, I'm half Taiwanese And my mom came as a foreign exchange student And she fell in love with her professor And they had a child, which was me And then quickly um, after my birth In... Um, we went back to Taiwan and I was actually born in Taiwan. Um, uh, my father left. And so we, um, had, we ended up coming back to the United States as immigrants living in Long Beach, California of just me and my mom. And, um, that's where we went. That's where we moved. Yeah. Everyone Long goes Beach. to Long Beach <laughs> and, um, you know, my whole life when, uh, my mom remarried, she ended up remarrying, uh, uh, someone in the Navy and we, um, Moved around to a couple different military bases overseas um, in Japan. And I grew up being called Half Dollar in souvenir. and Souvenir. I'm sorry, I'm, I didn't mean to. No, I, it's... It's um, that, sorry. But that's what, that's the half Asian experience um, around the world, I think. Especially with the kind of the American kind of colonization, military brat. You know, my father was, my military father wasn't even my birth father, but no one knows that, you know, cause I'm living on this American base. Um, and, um, that's how people grew up. But, um, I'm, I'm really excited about the project. I think this is your project. I think that tying, um, you know, a, kind of this realm of Filipino history to The popularity of Filipino food here in Washington D.C. I think is a. It's nice that we talk about food being a gateway. I think that um, food will be a gateway to this photo show doing being very popular here because I think that people's minds have kind of. Are opening up to the Philippines. And as you saw your, your present today presentation today was with the group called next day better. Yes,
7: that And was yesterday. just
6: amazing young Filipino Americans, um, whose goal is to get people to share what we can do to make the next day better. Just simple as that. And, 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 um, they're young and they're strong and they're vocal. Um, and, um, and they're DC, you know, and they're DC and nationally based now. And, it's special
7: right um, yeah I spoke with two next day better monthly series one was in Baltimore and one was just yesterday here in DC you're right they're powerful young individuals they're very vocal about certain issues and then the name of the organization says it all they want everything or everyone to have to have a next day better you ask ourselves every day How do you make the next day better?
6: One thing I talk about a lot in terms of what my culinary perspective is, is that my culinary perspective is that the food I cook is American food. And I'll tie it into Filipino food because a a quintessential part of my American experience is uh, lumpia, right? I grew up eating lumpia because um, my piano teacher's wife was Filipino. And every every um, after class, every time after class, she would always make me lumpia. And to me, that's not a Filipino thing. To me, I mean it is, but that's part of my American experience. And I think that people like Next Day Better and Your Story and Bad Sane and Purple Patch, these this kind of conversation, these are American conversations, right? And to to remember that for us to not forget um, that this story that you're telling is not just a filipino story but it's a part of what should be a part of an american dialogue um and so i hope that that's what we'll continue to to push out uh thank you um thank you for listening to vice i mean rice and uh and um and it's been great chatting with you enrico
7: thank you very much eric thank you very much
1: The host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General So's chicken and egg rolls, but here's the thing even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine and how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes. Feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs. And try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org.
4: Welcome back. That was just Fletcher C. Johnson, one of our favorite artists to come on the show. Jeff and Gabi, welcome. Welcome.
8: Hi. Hi. Welcome us.
4: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Jeff is from the incredible Northside Festival, and Gabi, who you heard opened the show, will be performing there. Let's start with Northside. Ninth year. Ninth year. Million bands. Uh, 100,000 people. Uh, Where did Northside get its start, and how has it grown over the, the last nine years?
8: Well, it started in two thousand nine as sort of an outgrowth of the L Magazine, which you may remember for I a long the, time.
4: I love the brothers,
8: <laughs> old 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 uh, Brooklyn Williamsburg heads. Remember the L Magazine? Mm-hmm. The uh, but it started just as there were so many venues just around a locus in Williamsburg and Greenpoint uh, that taking advantage of them all to like take them over, throw like a the opportunity to have a huge like a festival within this small footprint, uh, was the idea. And since then, uh, the, as you know, the landscape, the venue landscape has changed drastically. Mm -hmm. So we are still here, (laughs) but where here is in terms of like the clubs that we're in, um, and the places where Northside throws shows has, has changed a lot. Um, you know, now we started just doing club shows. Now we have, uh, for the last few years, our marquee events have been in McCarran Park, which is, you know, last year we had Brian Wilson's play Pet Sounds. Which was incredible, <laughs> which was just phenomenal <laughs> right. to see it. Before that, you know, Solange played there a few years back. We've had, like, Churches Guided by Voices. Chance the Rapper. Chance the, Rap- Chance the Rapper played Europa, which doesn't exist anymore. Good Room Now, but that's, Good room now. That's, that's
4: actually really funny.
8: It was, I mean, it's crazy to think about because he seems like impossibly young right now, but like we, he played the Narset festival in 2013. So when he was like 20, he was 20. Yeah. And it was in Europa, which, uh, used to be primarily like a a Polish disco and like music venue, which is now turned into the good room where we'll have shows this year. But I mean, uh, it's, we've been here for (laughs) vast changes in Brooklyn. And I like to think that we're keeping up with them.
4: (laughs) And you've also grown programming outside of just music. I know it primarily started there, but now you have innovation. Uh, Well, let's start there. The the innovation programming, which is some of the best minds in the world, coming and speaking on a number of panels.
8: Absolutely. Um, I mean, this year uh, we're we're launching something new. We're launching uh, what's called Northside Report, which is like a journalism symposium that has, you know, we're bringing in people like... uh, Ben Smith from BuzzFeed. We have we're partnering with BuzzFeed in the Intercept. So with uh, speakers like Ben Smith from BuzzFeed, Glenn Greenwald, uh, Mayor Bill De Blasio will be Who? around. <laughs> yeah. So we're uh, you know obviously this is a really crazy time for media too and journalism. So uh, there'll be a lot of panels and talks about you know how to even report about modern times. <laughs> Are these going to be you
4: know four hundred level type? panels it's not like inter- it's not like journalism 101 it's going to get right uh, to the heart of the matter
8: I, it's really honing into like Trump and uh, journalism in the Trump age and just uh, the the name of the you know the main uh, panel there is you are fake news that's sort of digging into how to get out you know and how how to report like how to talk about things like how to get you know what is fake news what isn't um, That that programming will start on a June the 7th, and then um, music overla- comes in June the 8th and overlaps with those four days. I mean, it's just, we're chocked full of, like, <laughs> an insane amount of events in that in that little little window of time.
4: And why do you feel a music festival is a good fertile ground for something like um, The Intercept and, and doing this type of programming, and how does that fit into the overall mission of
8: Northside? Well, I think that, I mean, you can't, It just... People who are active in the arts community in Brooklyn have a lot of interests. I mean, people who... uh, In the arts and in the cultures who would be out here uh, seeing shows every night and making art every night are really concerned about these issues. So, I mean, it's a good... It's a good time to both uh, celebrate, like, the local community and also really, like, bring in people who people might not see on a day-to-day basis.
4: Well, it's not just about talking. It's also about music, which is why Gabby is here today. Before we get into your projects, can we hear a song first, just to kind of set the tone? Sure. What are you going to play for us first?
5: Um, All right, so the first song I'm going to play is called Where. It's a short song um, off my last album, Sympathy, which came out on Software Records. Um, I build it live off of Loops. Which is kind of the theme for today, actually.
4: Okay, that sounds good. Here we go live on Snacky Tunes. It's really amazing you have such a strong background in the performing arts your work has been part of the Bob Wilson Watermill Center, Uh, Roulette has commissioned some of your work, Annie Warhol Museum Um, I know that the larger name is Gabrielle, so how does Gabi fit into the Gabrielle (laughs) world and how do you make the two distinctions?
5: That's a good question Um, something I think about all the time Uh, Yeah, I, I guess I feel like I lead two different lives musically a little bit but they both inform each other and they entwine all the time. So I guess I go by my full name, Gabrielle Herbst, which is German for autumn, <laughs> um, for like more compositional-based stuff, like more composer work. So I, I actually have two shows next week um, of these two commissions that I just wrote. One is for the Nouveau Classical Project, which is this amazing group of five women um, for clarinet, um, flute, piano, violin, and cello, and I made like an electronic vocal score to go with the piece. So, I, I guess you know, and then I wrote a piece for two classical guitars that's going to be performed next week. So, I enjoy composing in a more like notated, I guess, more classical space. And, um,
4: and which name are those projects under?
5: My full name. Okay, and then Gabi is kind of like this other world that i live in sometimes or all the time you know i want to live there all the time i try <laughs> and um and that is like where i'm singing and and writing songs and like um and like exploring kind of a different avenue musically and playing in different kinds of venues and you know like clubs and and just trying to you know like feed some of my pop sensibilities with um my classical background i guess
4: is there a song? Or is there a time when you start writing a song and you don't know which direction it will take? And if so, how, how quickly in the process do you figure out which avenue it will live in?
5: You know, they're, they're like they're so they live they're the same thing. Like <laughs> which I'm kind of discovering more and more. And I think that you know, as I get older, they'll probably literally just become the same exact thing. Like which identity, maybe I'm finding myself in an interesting way. Or
4: which identity wins? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's
5: like the inner duel of like selves. <laughs>
4: And does the other one push um, one project like one allows you to experiment and say this like you said, your pop sensibilities or does it that since you have such a strong background from your your education and your your youth that that world kind of uh, is the one that inspires the, the smaller pop projects?
5: I, I just think that you know every project is like its own, little being. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like my songs are my babies and like same with my compositions, you know? It's like they lead, I create them and then they like lead their own lives. They kind of dictate what they are. So, it's it's really hard to say. It just depends on the project, but I mean, I love, you know, I the my Gabi self. <laughs> I'm really excited to c- explore stuff with this new record that I'm writing and like go deeper into Songcraft, I guess
4: and how is it evolving from the first record?
5: It feels really different to me. Um, you know, it's hard to say what other listeners will think, but um, I don't know. I guess I, I've been thinking a lot about you know like my like why I'm writing music and you know songs in their purest form, and what's most important for me to get across to people, um, trying to you know not get like too sidetracked by things that aren't interesting to me, you know, like I think virtuosity is something that's not important to me, you know, like simplicity can be just as impacting and beautiful. So I, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm just trying to go with what I think is really important right now, sonically. And, um, and I think this stuff sounds, it feels really, um, like personal, which is interesting because I've never really written stuff like that before. So that is is cool for me too. It's it's really scary, which I love, you know. I like doing things that freak myself out, so it's good.
4: Can we hear another song? Sure, okay. What are you gonna play for us?
5: <laughs> Let's get scared. Okay. <laughs> um I'm gonna play so I'm playing three songs today and they're all like just so you know when you're listening, I'm I'm like building each song, you know, live by by like layers of voice, which is really fun. And spontaneous, but also, like, mildly frightening, because, like, anything can happen. <laughs> you know, like, it's much, it's easier to just be, like, play, and then it's, like, la-di-da, the perfect song. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. We're,
4: we're, like, a bit messy on Snacky Tunes, <laughs> so it fits right
5: in. I need a napkin. Okay, cool. So this is, um, this has, like, a couple names right now, so maybe I'll just, like, leave it unnamed.
4: Perfect. Okay. Uh. So, Gabby, you are one of the 300 bands that is going to be playing Northside Festival uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, Jeff, what can you tell us about the show?
8: Uh, Gabby, we'll be playing with. Um, uh, there's a There's a church right off of McGorlick Park in Greenpoint that's been throwing amazing art shows. Is that the same one that used to do the sober dance parties? I Remember don't know it, it, this this the programming probably. there <laughs> probably yeah you would i mean you can buy drinks at the show I bet, okay. but <laughs> i think that was more the programming less the right the church but uh it's on friday june 9th and gabby will be playing along with Kristen control um and it's an amazing setup with like people sit in the pews there are huge uh like av installations uh it's a beautiful place for a show
5: I love that space so much i 've never played there, so i 'm really super excited. I also love christian control she 's amazing
8: yes
4: I mean she really it's a gr- it's a great twofer. Um, have you gotten a chance to get into the the church and map things out or plan things that was just recreated in your mind from previous shows you've been at
5: um, I mean yeah i've been in there a fair amount just exploring so i don 't know i I definitely want to take full advantage of the space i've already been thinking about that a lot like how can i move around a lot i actually have a really cool band joining me i have a harpist mary lou donovan and a bass clarinet player mara Mayer, and they're like the shit so i definitely want to i don't know i want to like make the show as exciting as possible and as like interactive
4: will they let you get on the organ
5: I don't know. We can ask. That'd be really cool, yeah.
4: Just like one song. Uh, and So who are some of the other bands that are playing this year?
8: Uh, Well, the McCarran Park shows that I mentioned previously, uh, the opening night we're going to have Dirty Projectors along with Kamazi Washington, the great jazz artist. What a lineup. And uh, Jay Som, who's a great up-and-coming band also. That's on Thursday the 8th. Uh, We have Miguel. The great R and B singer will be there on Saturday, uh, and we're closing up on Sunday with uh, a huge like punk and emo show with Thursday Pop coming in from Toronto, uh, Jeff Rosenstock, Tony Molina, and the Hotel Year. Pup is uh, one of the all-time favorite Snacky tunes <laughs> bands. We <laughs> that, love them so much. That show's free, by the way. Uh, it's just folks get in with their badge, or they can RSVP. But it'll be it'll be a whole uh, there'll be a lot of feelings and a lot of fists pumped.
4: A lot, I, a lot of, like, 30-something-year-old, like, dudes singing along.
8: I'm hoping for teens. <laughs> I think we'll get some teens also. Yeah, and just
4: quiet people in the back, just kind of...
8: So those are the big shows, but there's shows... I mean, I, I encourage people to go to Northside Festival's website uh, and peruse the schedule because there are... You know, we do shows with local labels. We do shows with uh, media companies. We do shows with people like Pitchfork. We do a show um, with the 33 and a 3rd book series. Mm. That we started last year where artists will take on uh, whole records that they've put out books on. So this year we have uh, Lower Dens playing uh, Ava Gold, Ava's Greatest Hits. Wow. At Rough Trade on uh, Saturday the 10th. Um, There's a lot of shows. I think think what's really
4: set Northside uh, apart from some of the other music festivals that span days is that you really are as much about Discovery as you are about the headliners. I think some of the other festivals... Or oh, in years past, just rely on like, the biggest names possible, which you have. But right. Kamase and Dirty Projectors are, are big, but they're not the biggest like stars in the musical
8: universe because I think you balance it out with really interesting
4: uh, programming.
8: I mean, that's the goal always. And I mean, it in terms of we really try to work with the community and the people who are here doing shows every day and doing cool things in the city and trying to work with them to do you know, maybe a slightly more grandiose version, but like to bring in interesting artists that already like fit into the aesthetics of the communities that are here or, um, just to provide a great, uh, celebration for everybody. The, um, yeah.
4: Well, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. Gabby, we want to get one more song in. Yay. (laughs) I'd like to thank the team at full service radio, uh, and rice for giving us that very special interview. We'll be back next week with another full live episode of Snacky Tunes. Gabby, what are you gonna take us out with?
5: It's called Till the End.
4: Till the End. <laughs> Aptly named. Jeff, congrats on this year's festival. Looking Thanks forward for having to coming checking out the show as fist uh, yeah. pumping and all. <laughs> Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.